This is Jennifer Hamrick, and you are listening to Life Giver. Welcome to Life Giver Military Spouse Podcast, a place for honest conversation and hope that will breathe life into your military marriage and home. This is Corey Weathers, and I'm so excited to share in this journey with you. Close your eyes for a minute if you want to see the world. Hi, this is Michelle Burr from the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation. You're listening to the Life Giver Podcast. We wanted to touch base with all of the military spouses out there. We appreciate so much what you do. We appreciate that you pick your families up and that you move over and over again and that you work so hard to support your military member and your communities. And we just want to say thank you and let you know that we're working every day to try to support you and to and to recognize you. So thank you, guys. Connect. You are my best friend, and I am so thankful that you picked me. I love doing this Army adventure with you. I enjoy watching you excel at your job, but more than that, I enjoy watching you thrive as a husband and dad in spite of the challenges the military life has thrown us. You are, and always will be, my favorite. Welcome to another episode of Life Giver Military Spouse Podcast. This is Corey Weathers, and today I have a great interview for you. We have a lot of homeschooling moms that are out there that are also military spouses, and as I talk to a lot of them, I not only sense, but also hear from them some of the struggles that they personally have um, as being a military spouse and also a homeschooling mom. So I thought it would be a great idea to provide you an amazing interview with a good friend of mine. Her name is Jennifer Hamrick. Some of you out there may know of Jennifer Hamrick. She has an incredible blog that has become very popular on everything from homeschooling and curriculum and choosing how to provide great discipline in your home, but also just sharing in her adventures as a military spouse and what it's been like for her. So I encourage you to go to her blog. It is www.thehamricks, that's H-A-M-R-I-C-K dot wordpress dot com. You'll find an incredible amount of encouragement for you there, as well as ideas on how you can be the best homeschooling mom you can and also the best military spouse. I met Jennifer in my first year as a military spouse, and she was my mentor, and she was the first person that welcomed me into this amazing community. So I am thrilled to share her with you today. We're going to talk a lot about what it means to be a homeschooling mom and how that helps um, as being a military spouse. But this is also a great podcast for those who are either interested in trying out homeschooling. And I also want to say it's really great for those of us who aren't homeschooling moms, because I think that what we need more than anything else is an understanding of each other and also the ability to encourage one another. And so I think you're also going to hear some wonderful, helpful tips, regardless of whether or not you homeschool or whether your children are in public school or private school or whatever educational setting that they're in. So let's get right into my interview with Jennifer Hamrick. Hello, Jennifer Hamrick. How are you? I am very well. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm so excited that you're joining me today and we have so much to talk about. So I thought we would just dive in. I have just a wonderful history with you and you've been an incredible part of my journey as a military spouse. So I wanted to give kudos to you just from the beginning, because for me, when I think back, you were the first face, you, you were the first face that I met as a military spouse and my welcoming committee, if you will, and just your incredible giving spirit that just really helped me see what it's like to come into this military spouse community. And um, just such a gifting that you have. Not only did you prepare me so much for coming into the community before I even got there, but I have this vivid memory of you giving me pots and pans to get through our hotel stay and toys for my kids to play with because our household goods were packed up. And I just was surprised, but I was just so inspired by your giving spirit and your heart for ministering to me and I'm and I what I witnessed in Colorado was you also ministering to even just those on your street in that same way of just always having this thoughtful way of knowing where somebody is and what they need and and wanting to provide that if you could so 
I am so excited to share you with everyone here. Um, so what I would like for you to do is just share a little bit of your story. And um, your husband is also named Matt. Just share a little bit of your story as a military spouse, how you guys felt the call into the Army and what's gotten you to this point. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for those sweet words. I I remember vividly hearing that you guys were coming to Fort Carson and driving through the neighborhood where I lived, snapping pictures of all the empty houses, thinking, oh, they could live in that one. They might live in that one. And then you ended up living over in the nice new neighborhood. So um, we didn't get to be as close neighbors as I had hoped. But um, I remember how excited I was that you guys were coming. So my Matt and I uh, were at a church in North Carolina, wonderful people, but we knew that there was something else that God was calling us to. And it took a long time to get into the military, but we finally did. He became a chaplain and we have loved our experience ever since. We loved our early years transitioning. It was a challenge. And I remember being so nervous and how people helped us come in, which is why I want to help other people who are coming in get settled into this lifestyle. I was going to say, you know, I know that it was an incredible gift to me to have you provide so much insight and direction for me coming in. I was wondering, would you say that that is your calling or would you just say that that just comes really easy and you don't realize that you do it so well? Um, what do you feel like is the biggest part that you feel like you play as a military spouse? I think regarding this, it's something that comes naturally. I believe my mother is a very hospitable person. We both love to host. We both love to make people feel welcome. Um, I probably do that without really trying. And because when you asked me to explain this or talk about it, I literally just kind of came up empty. Like, I don't know. I don't have any idea. You know, I just, it's kind of like that movie robot, see a need, feel a need. And um, I see it and I want to step in and help. And I don't get to do it on a broad basis. Um, there are ministries out there who can do that. And I know a lot of posts have um, the linen closet. But for me, when I know someone's coming in that I can help individually, I love to do that, um, make life easier for them. Well, I was just thinking a lot of times when I go and speak and do leadership training type of stuff or when we talk about how to develop a sense of purpose, that oftentimes our gifting comes really natural to us. And I use you often as an example because I don't have the same gifting that you do. And so I think that's why it was so memorable for me because the ability for you to put yourself into someone else's shoes and think of such just the minute details that you did, such as you let me borrow your Jeep for like six months. And but the first day I climbed into that Jeep, I looked into the back seat and you had brown paper bags for each of the boys with their names on it and age specific toys for them to play with. And I thought the amount of work and creativity that that took, maybe it was easy for you. But for someone like me, and I've run into other people who are kind of similar to me in that it takes a lot of effort for us to put that much thought into something. And so I want to say to you and to a lot of the other people who really do have the gift of empathy and the gift of gift giving, that that really is a special talent to have to be able to that easily um, sense and see what someone else's need is and then to be able to fulfill that. And so I wanted to take this public opportunity to say thank you for bringing me into this community in such a sweet way and providing for my family the way that you did and how much of a difference that made for us. And, um, and I hope that that encourages other people to do the same thing as they see some of these new spouses coming in or, or also some of our seasoned spouses that move into a new location. We all know what that's like to move somewhere and, and try to feel like you're trying to fit in. So those little things make a huge difference. Today, I wanted to talk about homeschooling. This is such a huge issue within our community. So many spouses, so many moms feel the call to homeschool their kids. And in a lot of ways, I've heard that it's a um, convenient, but also an easier way to help with their kids and their education with the amount of change and relocations that our families go through. And I'm going to be honest here that I don't homeschool my children. 
and my kids go to public school and them doing that gives me the ability to do what it is that I do best. And so I'm going to lean on Jennifer today to kind of help educate me on what the homeschool community is really feeling and um, what their needs are as we go through this interview. But I really felt like this would be a really great opportunity for us to talk about some of the struggles that our homeschool families go through some of the questions that um, I hear or that Jennifer, you hear from our homeschooling moms and just speak a word of encouragement into their lives. For those that are listening that are not homeschool moms, I would, you know, I spoke with Jennifer earlier and we just want to stress that that's okay. And that this is also really an important podcast for you to listen to, to not only understand your homeschooling mom friends, um, but also that this can be an encouraging word of hope for you in your own life. Um, to give you that extra sense of permission, if you will, um, that whatever it is that you might be doing is just fine for your life. And so this is definitely worth listening to whether you homeschool or not. So Jennifer, let's just jump right in. Tell me a little bit about what made you decide that you wanted to homeschool your four boys. Well, to begin with, I want to start by saying that um, I am a product of nine years of public school. I had great experiences. I went to public elementary school and public high school and loved it. Um, I had a good experience. My middle school years, I was homeschooled. So I'm, I've actually been both a public schooled and a homeschooled student. And um, my degree is in elementary education. I have been a public school teacher and now I have been a homeschool teacher. So I've been on a lot of different sides of this. So I can speak to both you know, both parties on this one. And I just want to say um, to begin with that I personally think that teachers rock. I think they have a difficult job. They do it because they love it. So kudos to, to you teachers, whether you're public, private, kudos. I, I, I miss the classroom in some ways, but not enough to go back at this point. So I just wanted to start with that so people would kind of know where I'm coming from. Um, we started the discussion on homeschooling really late. We originally intended to public school our kids, and I was going to go back into the classroom. And we got orders to move during our first son's kindergarten year from Fort Jackson to Fort Carson. And we decided that with him being as timid as he is, or as he was, because he's certainly not timid now, that it would be a good idea for us to just homeschool kindergarten, let him get through that transition year, and then we'd put him in school in kindergarten, uh, or excuse me, in first grade. And when we got uh, through that first year, we looked at the upcoming year and thought, you know, that was fun. Let's do it again. Let's homeschool first grade. And the following year, he was going to enter second grade, and my second son, Carson, was about to enter kindergarten. And I thought, I think I could do second grade and a kindergartner together. I think I could do that. And in the following year, we added another kindergartner to the mix. And um, here we are. Now our sons are in the ninth grade, seventh, sixth, and we have a fourth now who is in kindergarten. So I'm starting that all over again. So we just kind of started out of necessity during, during a PCS season and never stopped. I believe that homeschooling has been an incredible help to us with my husband deploying and with us PCSing um, two or three times in the middle of school year, being ho a homeschool family allowed us the ability to schedule our year ahead of time so that we could take off when it was convenient for us. It's also allowed us to take our school on the road. It's allowed us to travel when other people are bound to a school schedule. So um, a lot of soldiers do not like crowds, and my husband is one of them. And we do not like to go on vacation when the rest of the world is on vacation. And homeschooling affords us the ability to choose a better date, a date when the, the lines won't be super long. And that helps our family uh, tremendously. That's one of the reasons we started homeschooling is um, because of the transitions that we were going to be facing. So what is it like? I get this question um, a lot from people. What is it like to homeschool so many different grades all at once? How do you balance that? Um, I will say that balance is not my favorite word. I think that it's next to impossible to balance, but you do tend to lean on the student who needs the most help at that moment. So this past year, with Hayden being in his first year of high school, he's kind of taken a little bit more of my time with algebra because um, I really want him to make sure he's got that. And my kindergartner has also taken a considerable amount of my time because I have to do everything with him. So it kind of goes back and forth during which season you're in. And it in a single year, the balance 
shifts to a different child based on what they're in. One of the keys to doing this is to try to find a curriculum that you can teach the same subject to all the children at the same time. For example, up until this year, we've used um, a history called Story of the World, and we could teach all of the ages that level or that curriculum. They just did it at a different level. So we could combine a lot of their things, and then independently, they did math and science and their own reading. So trying to combine as much as you can is a good idea. I will tell you that something that really helped me when we had our fourth son was reading a book called Managers of Their Homes. And the authors, they have lots of kids, and they created a scheduling system that helped me put in priority what I needed to do in the day. And I don't follow it nearly as strictly as I did then, but it gave us the assurance that everything was getting done. Um, So I, I really recommend that book. I've reviewed it on my blog. Um, I highly recommend it for anyone who is really, really concerned about making sure everything gets done. I would just like to add to what I said earlier in that I make sure to work with my youngest student first. I know that his attention span is shorter and the other ones have gained a bit more stamina in attention. So I will start with my youngest student, get his schoolwork taken care of, and then The other ones will be working independently. And then if I need to go and work with them, then we have time for that. But the little guy gets my attention first. I hear from a lot of people that one of the big struggles that they have, whether they're new coming into trying to figure out how to homeschool or for those that are uh, maybe finishing up a year of homeschooling and, and looking into the next year, that curriculum is a huge issue. Trying to find the right curriculum trying to find one that fits their morals and values. Um, It just seems like a big stressor to me. So what would you say is your lessons learned looking back on how have you discovered and found the best curriculum for your family? Well, for me, that is a fantastic question because for me, we were on a budget all the first eight years of homeschooling. We were working our way through um, debt. And so we wanted to spend as little as possible. So we really use the library for a lot of things. Um, You can go online and find out what your state requires. And if you study the state standard course of study, um, you will find out what the state teachers have to teach. And I did that at first. I really followed the North Carolina standard course of study because I wanted to make sure I was getting everything done. And as I've gotten a little more seasoned, I'm a little more relaxed in my approach. But you can use the library. You can use the Internet. Um, I have a phenomenal um, resource that I'm going to list in um, the show notes somehow. Uh, Our Cozy Den is a website that has a blog on how to homeschool on a tight budget. I will say as we have become debt free and our our, our horizons have expanded we have chosen to use a curriculum that matches my love of reading and my kids' love of reading. They all are big readers. And so I chose one that taught my children through the use of reading novels, just high quality literature. So really, it is the probably the most overwhelming question, which curriculum to choose. But if you take a step back and ask what your goals are, are your goals to meet all of the state's criteria? Is it to teach using literature? Is it to teach using hands-on? What kind of learner do you have? All of those questions can lead you to the right one. And the best resource are other homeschool moms, because most of the time we've tried several and found one that we loved, and we found one that we didn't love, and we could tell you whether or not they would fit for what you're looking for. You you brought up something about trying to meet the state standards. How much of a challenge is that as a homeschooling parent to have to relocate and then have to research the state standards? Do you find that the state standards change a lot and is that stressful for you? Um, or do you feel like you kind of get the hang of it and it's pretty much the same? For the most part, the states are pretty pretty similar. They all want you to your kids to learn a pretty basic amount of things. You can go to several different websites to choose to look at what your state requires. Um, I have been blessed to live in states that haven't really had a lot of restrictions. Uh, Texas has none. I mean, they have they have laws. Don't get me wrong, but they don't have a lot of restrictions. And so I have a lot of freedom in what I teach. 
Um, there are others that are quite a bit more strict and require the submission of portfolios. Um, so that is really more important than the actual curriculum that you use is to just follow that you're turning in what you're supposed to turn in. Um, if you if you go on um, HSLDA, that stands for Homeschool Legal Defense Association, you can find a pretty good list of what the states require and compare to where to where you move. If you live overseas and you're living on a SOFA status, it's it's actually pretty easy to homeschool under the SOFA status. I'm loving all these resources. And so I definitely agree that we're going to have all of these on the show notes with links so that if anybody needs to have access to anything that Jennifer brings up during this podcast, that you'll be able to find all of those links on the show notes for sure. And I also want to say that we will have this podcast will be tagged under homeschool um, for sure. Um, if you need to go to my website and find this podcast and to reference all of her resources. Um, Jennifer, you brought up your community of other homeschool moms and how that's helped you a lot. What do you feel like homeschool moms struggle with the most, especially as military spouses? Hmm. I think a lot of us struggle with trying to be perfect. I think we um, we wake up every day going, okay, am I doing what's right for my child? Am I teaching my child all they need to know? And I think we do that as mothers. I don't. I don't think moms in general are any different in that. Um, we homeschool moms just have the added fun of <laughs> are we doing the best for our child educationally as well? I would say that. The book that I love the most is called Homeschooling for the Rest of Us. And I read that book whenever my son, my oldest son was in the fourth grade. So I had already been homeschooling for five years. I was, you know, pretty seasoned. And when I read the book and how she talked about um, how homeschool mothers tend to compare themselves and how we shouldn't and how we are the best teacher for our children, if we are called to homeschool, then we will do the right thing. So she removed that fear. And even even though I've read that book, even though I recommend it, I share it, I give it away, I still have to remind myself of that on a regular basis um, because we all struggle with that. Am I doing the best for my child? And one of the things that my husband and I have chosen to do is look at the journey of homeschooling year by year and kid by kid. And so far, every year, homeschooling has been the right choice, and it has been the right choice for each of our kids. And that makes it easier to say, you know what? No, we did make the right choice, and our kids are succeeding. They're doing well, and so that reassures us that we're making the right choice. I think you brought up a really important variable, and I would love to hear how big does a strong, healthy marriage and being united in this journey of homeschooling um, for your family, how important is that for you and your spouse to be on the same page? Well, for our family, our marriage is the most important thing. And so if he were not in favor of this, we would not be doing this. This is one of those tasks that's big enough. I really feel like both parents need to be on the same page. I, I honestly am thankful that we've never had to have the discussion where one of us was um, on a different page. I don't even know what that would sound like um, because we have been so united on this topic. But I would say that um, it is important and it would be something to to really take into consideration. Matt has been really supportive. Now, I will say he's not really involved in the selecting of curriculum. He's not really involved in what what the grades are. He, he doesn't really get involved in the details, but um, he listens when I say, hey, I'm thinking about using this curriculum and he smiles and nods. But um but yeah, he's he's 100 percent on board with homeschooling on the same track of that, because, you know, we're in this and talking about marriage. We're talking about balance. We're talking about, you know, making sure that the family is together and when you're doing something as important as this. How in the world do you balance taking care of yourself and giving time for yourself, which leads to you being able to give time to your marriage and focused attention? Because I have this. Um, in my mind, I think about you teaching with the kids all day and, and being with the kids all day and then somehow having to fit yourself in there and then your husband comes home and then it's everybody. And how do you take care of yourself and not feel exhausted and spent by the end of the day? Now, I do happen to know that, Jennifer, you are an extrovert and you love to be around people. And so I think that that helps you a little bit. But how how is it that you take care of yourself or provide the structure at home 
to give you time for yourself, especially with four boys, because four boys is a lot. <laughs> four boys is a lot. I will tell you the very first tip that I tell people is um, don't ever give up nap time. And and in our house, nobody naps anymore. But I still recommend that moms who homeschool block off two to three hours every day where all the children go to their own spaces and they're away from their siblings. They're away from each other. Um, and that gives the child time to do their schoolwork, their independent work that they can do alone. It gives them time to play with Legos. They can listen to their iPods. They can draw all sorts of things that that they they can do independently. One of the things that siblings get who go to school is time away from each other. And siblings who live in the same house all day long, all year long, they don't ever get that time away. So we see a huge difference in our schedule and our daily life when our kids get two to three hours independently from each other and then they come back and it's like they've missed each other tremendously. They cannot wait for that time to get up. During that time, that's when I used, used to run. Give you a shout out for encouraging me to run and being one of the first people to let me know that I could actually be a runner. I, I used to run during that time. I have since converted to a morning runner uh, thanks to Hello Mornings. Um, that'll be another resource if you want. But um, I have become a morning runner. And so I get up before the boys. I do not think that everyone should have to do that. But um, it has worked out really well for us. And that helps. My boys are older. I have a 14-year-old. He can stay home with the boys uh, while I run. So that helps a lot. One of my, my big issues when I was a teacher is that I looked at my day. I had all these amazing kids and I thought, man, we waste a lot of time. We really, we really could get done with all of the schoolwork that I do in four hours. We, we really waste a lot of time. And that, that matched up with my memory of being homeschooled. And I would be done with school by noon every day. I make sure that we have pretty structured time in the morning. We wake up, we do chores, we eat breakfast, we do school, and then we have lunch. And then everyone goes to their rooms and they do whatever independent work they need but we don't do school all day long. And so I think that is the way we do it. I'm sure there are a hundred different ways it can be done, but we really get done with school, the bulk of it by one. Um, and of course they have their own time to do any leftover work between the hours of uh, one and three or one and four, whatever we've chosen to do nap time. But during those hours, I'm away from my kids and I get a little break and um I'm a happier mama after the break. What do you, what is your favorite thing that you love to do during those couple of hours? Uh, write. I love to write on my blog. I haven't been able to do it a whole lot in the last little while. A lot of, a lot of exciting things going on, but I love to write. Even if I don't actually put it on the blog, that's my, that's my favorite thing to do. I like to take pictures like photography. Um, this past um, month, I've been doing a lot of research on adoption and a lot of paperwork and a lot of things like that. So I also do a lot of work for the volunteer stuff that I do during those hours. Stuff that that isn't mom related usually. It's it's me, me related. <laughs> so it's kind of like you take your mom hat off or take your teacher hat off and instead you just kind of be you and do the things that you love to do and things that feed you so that when it's time to put the mom hat back on, you're a happier person because of it. Yes. Yes. I absolutely love teaching my kids. I love it. But then I also love things that um, fill me up, like taking pictures and writing and um, answering emails when people ask me questions uh, about the class that I teach in the evening. So I just absolutely, I get so filled up from that. So maybe I've worked all day with my kids and loved it, but it's draining. Then I go get filled up by doing those other things. I wish I could say that my identity is secure and I don't worry about it at all. But I have to admit, I've been doing this for quite some time. And I am positive that there is a big chunk of my identity tied into homeschooling. It will be difficult when I am no longer homeschooling, whether it's because my kids have all graduated and gone on to their lives or we've put them into school or whatever the reason, there will be some serious grieving that I do when this season is over. It is a special connection I have to my kids that I know is um, a huge part of our relationship. We've We've bonded over every single lesson we've learned, whether it's in history or math or science, which isn't my favorite, but we've still bonded. I will miss it. I will have to change my thinking on who I am. Now, I know for a fact that as a Christian, my identity is in Christ. I know that. I know that as a woman, I am married to Matt. 
And I know as a mother, my identity is in the four kids we have and the one we're trying to adopt. But homeschooling is a big part of my identity. And I would be lying if I said that it didn't affect me at all. So one of the things that I love about this podcast is that it's really a chance for real conversation that can be really honest. And so with me being not a homeschool mom and you being a good friend who is a homeschooling mom, I thought that it would be good for us to talk about some of the more challenging questions that I think a lot of people either think about or have, but maybe you're afraid to talk about. And so I, you know, I know for me and my camp, especially as a clinician, some of the things, you know, the, the common worry that you hear as far as the stigma behind homeschooling is, are your children getting enough social interaction with other kids? And I also hear from other homeschool moms that one of the concerns that they have is making sure that they find really good quality social groups for their kids to be part of community groups. And so I don't know if that's a question that you can answer, but um, how do you make sure that you are providing that? Because I'll tell you that um, I have always seen your kids as very well socialized and very well behaved. And so what is it that you do? Do you are you involved with community groups? Is that something that's really important or is that just a stigma that people place on homeschooling? What would be your um, feedback on that? I think that there is a stigma around that um, that doesn't exist anymore. It used to be that there weren't, back when I was homeschooled, there weren't a whole lot of things uh, for homeschool kids to do. I remember when we would go to the mall in the middle of the day, people would ask us, "Uh, now, why is she out of school? We, We would worry about me being in public outside of school during the day. Now it's so common that it's not as much of a big deal. There are so many activities that homeschoolers can be involved in that I think the biggest concern of mine for new homeschool moms is that they over socialize their kids. We can do so much in an effort to combat this particular issue that our kids don't get time to be at home. They don't get time to play, be free. We can run the same risk of over scheduling our children that a public school family can do. Um, And so for my sons, they play on a soccer season. Uh, They do two soccer seasons every year. They have youth group on Wednesday nights. They go to PWOC with me on Tuesdays, which they have a class that is geared towards their age. Neighborhood. Oh my goodness. Our neighborhood is filled with kids. They are actually at the Bronco Youth Center right now, skateboarding with other people um, who love to skateboard and they're supposed to um, check in every hour. It's just They have so many opportunities to socialize that I have to sometimes say, you know what, we're going to stay home tonight and we're going to put a sign on the door that says family time and um, we're going to not socialize. We just need to stop socializing for just a little while. So it's actually opposite of what most people think. We don't actually participate in a lot of co-ops for the simple reason that a lot of them meet during our rest time. And I am just not willing to give that up. That is a treasured time for us. We need that time away from each other because we're involved in so many activities. The afternoon, the one to three window, we really try to keep that pretty, pretty strictly just us. We try to keep it quiet. We try not to go anywhere. And so we really haven't been involved in a whole lot. However, I find them to be a great addition to an educational experience. So I would recommend that anyone who is investigating this as an option, look at your local co-ops, see what they offer, see when they meet. And even if it's not going to work for your schedule now, maybe next semester or next year, definitely something to keep in mind. That's really well said, because I know that that is a cultural shift that I think is happening for everyone. And it's one of the reasons why I believe military spouses aren't showing up for FRG events or other military spouse sponsored events, because there is a return to focus on children and the family. And families are, are busier than ever during the week, especially in the evenings with sporting events and church. And, and so I think what, I, what we're starting to see is that when we plan for an FRG night or something that is um, sponsored by our FRGs or military-related events, I think our families are exhausted and they're not wanting to spend one more evening out socializing when four or five nights have been taken up already. And so I think you bring up a really powerful point that sometimes we might be over socializing and swinging that pendulum maybe a little too far. 
And either whether that's coming from a place of anxiety of I need to make sure that my child is socializing more or whether we are parenting out of this fear of my child isn't doing enough, learning enough, smart enough, isn't athletic enough, whatever it is that's motivating us. I think you bring up a really good point that we need to take a look at that and make sure that we're striving for a healthy balance. And that was something I always loved when I watched you parent your boys. I loved the fact that you gave them this freedom to be independent, even when they were playing outside. They were always regularly checking in with you at varying ages. I mean, a child could be four years old and you're watching your child at four. You're able to see them and supervising them at all times. But you really did this amazing job of being able to teach them how to play independently and then coming back to check in with you so that there was these constant check-ins. And so it's amazing to me that five, six years later, you know, even your now high schooler is, you know, knowing that that's just part of the routine and that's part of being responsible and independent. So, okay, so let's let's flip it to the other side. So um, I think that there's also concern on my side of the camp. For those of us who don't homeschool, I hear from a lot of um, other military spouses who do not homeschool this pressure that we sometimes feel of what does that say about me if I'm not homeschooling? Does that does the homeschool moms think that do the homeschool moms think that we are not good moms because we aren't homeschooling our kids? Um, the conversations can quickly become, you know, I've seen in some coffee groups where, you know, the homeschool moms will kind of go to one corner of the room and those that, you know, have, you know, something else going on or not homeschooling are kind of feeling like they need to huddle up on the other side, which is sad to me. But there is a little bit of that divide of what does that say about me, regardless of which side I'm on. So what would you say to those who aren't homeschooling? Um, who are doing something else and their kids are either going to private school or to public school? The first thing I would like to say is that the majority of the people I know who homeschool genuinely don't care whether you homeschool or not. We um, just love homeschooling and we love homeschooling our kids. So if our enthusiasm has rubbed off on the wrong way, I apologize. Um, But for the most part, I honestly haven't seen that in real life. I've seen a lot of it. Um, on social media, I've seen a lot of articles floating around where there's this, um, I don't homeschool my kid, but I love them anyway, those kinds of articles. And I just think, well, where'd that come from? Cause I didn't say you didn't love your kid. Um, I feel like most of that is actually online. Um, I have friends who, who homeschool their kids and who's have some homeschooled and some at home. I have some whose kids are strictly public schooled. My kids play with both no matter what. They don't have this dividing line there. And so I feel like the majority of the battle is online. It's not even in real conversation. It's not even in real communication between the real moms in the neighborhood. Um, Now, there may be discussions about articles that have been seen on Facebook, but I really still don't think that anyone I know genuinely judges someone for not homeschooling. I think you bring up a wonderful point. Again, this coming back to the feelings of I feel like I need to be perfect as a mom and as a wife and and the amount of exhaustion that that adds to our roles as women um, or, you know, and I think men struggle with this, too. We have a lot of male spouses that are out there that feel the pressure. And I imagine they also feel an extra pressure of being a male military spouse and what that means for them. And so social media brings this facade or this mask, if you will, to put on airs and saying that we are perfect and that we have everything together. And I also think I call it, especially when I worked with adolescent girls, we called it um, online digital courage, that we often find ourselves entering into debate and feeling a little bit more freedom to share that controversial post or whatever it is that expresses an extreme version of our opinion because it feels like we can do it without any repercussions. And so I think you bring up a really good point that that. It's actually really comforting to hear that some of the online debate between homeschooling and not homeschooling perhaps isn't really shared by that many people genuinely out there that really there is a respect on both sides of whatever it is that your calling is. And it's really more about how do each of us find what our purpose is and find what we are called to do at this season in our life. 
And that's one of the reasons why I've always respected you as a homeschooling parent, because from the very beginning, I remember this vividly. I remember you saying that you took each year to really think about and discern if it was right for your kids. And I remember you saying, um, not only would you do that, but that you also would pay attention to your own abilities, that if it ever was starting to go outside of your own ability of what you could do well, that you would reevaluate your plan by that point. And I remember always thinking that that is just so healthy and it's so um, respectful, I think, to yourself. And it's also respectful to your kids. Well, thank you. We're actually in a season of that right now. Hayden, um, okay, just to back up, we do our school year. This year we did it year round. We did school all summer long. So we could take October, November, December off. So when we got to the beginning of October, I went back and kind of looked at some of Hayden's work. And being high school, I kind of let him handle his own schedule for a while and realized he wasn't quite getting the math like I had hoped. So I realized, okay, wait a minute. Um, As the teacher, I failed him this semester. So I um, had him start from a good point. So where he was good and solid, we retaught. And um, I looked into maybe doing an online class for him in algebra, but he ended up breezing right through it. When he didn't have anything else to concentrate on, when he didn't have to worry about history and writing and all the other things going on, when he was really able to dig in just to algebra, it clicked in his brain. Um, But there was about a week long where I was going, okay, uh, is this the moment? Is this the moment where we're going to have to find somebody else to do this? And I will tell you, we had more fun. Okay, maybe I had more fun than he did, but we had more fun sitting there together for a few weeks doing algebra side by side in our pajamas um, until he got himself to where I felt like he was, you know, capable of doing all this work independently. It was a it was a moment of fear for me because I was like, what if this is the the start of the change? Because you know, any kind of change that we go through in life is hard. Um, but then it, it really set us up for a fun couple of weeks where we got to dig in. We got to spend some time sitting beside each other with a high schooler. You don't do that as often. You know, you do that with your kindergartner, but to sit beside your ninth grader, who's now the same height, it was, it was a really fun experience. But I've also been looking into some other ways to um, supplement his writing because Whenever something comes naturally to you, sometimes that means it's harder to teach. So um, I've found some good resources that I'm going to use this year, uh, starting in January, to help him with writing. So I'm already trying to find some other ways to fill in my gaps. That's one of the encouragements I want to give to anyone considering homeschooling. You don't have to be a professional at all the subjects your student will learn. You don't have to know how to do them yourself. You just know how to have to know how to get that information to your child. And so um, the one of the things we are going to use in the fall is time for learning, the four being a number. It's definitely kid by kid. And not just that, it's subject by subject at some points. I, I think you brought up something else that's really important, not only as a homeschooling mom, but also in marriage. You said sometimes whatever it is that comes easy to you or that you're gifted at is a lot harder to teach. And I think that that also applies to marriage. I think sometimes whatever is easiest to us um, is harder to explain, especially if our spouse doesn't have that same gifting and doesn't have that same ease to even understand or love that way or think that way. And um, I've actually never thought of it from the perspective of how would you teach something that you're especially good at? How does that play out with, you know, having four boys and four different personalities? And obviously, I'll, I'll say what a lot of parents think sometimes, but don't say out loud. But sometimes we tend to connect with some of our children more than others, especially if we have similar personalities. So how does that, how do you juggle teaching what you're good at, especially if one of your children gets it very quickly versus working with another child who it's, it is a gifting for you or it doesn't come as naturally for them and having to fill in those gaps. Does that make any sense? It does. It does. And I think, um, I can give you a pretty good example. I think of what you're talking about. Reading has always been something I loved. I wanted to do it young. Um, I came home from my first day of kindergarten crying because my teacher hadn't taught me that day how to read. And so my first two kids were that kind of reader. And I taught them using how to teach your child to read in 100 easy lessons. Um, And it was just 
perfect. So my third one came along and we got all the way through 100 lessons and we weren't quite where we needed to be. And um, I actually had him tested. I took him to a public school and had a reading specialist test him. And she said, um, Miss Hamrick, your son is actually advanced for his age. So <laughs> he's fine. And basically I was comparing my number three to my number two and my number one. He, he was fine. But I had to learn right then that I could not compare the kids to each other um, because they're so uniquely gifted. Now, uh, Bailey, that third child, um, he's a great reader now. He was just he just learned at the speed that he was going to learn at. And so one of the things I had to do was remind myself of my own educational philosophy, which is that children will learn to read if they love to read. So I didn't want to remove the love of reading from Bailey by demanding it go at my pace. So there were days when I was just, uh, it was all I could do just to grin and listen to him sound out those words one more time. Um, but my goal was in my mind at all times. My goal isn't that he learned to read fast. It's that he loved to read. So just stepping back and keeping your goal in mind when you interact with that child who does things differently is I think the key. So let me ask this. How would you know if, what are some red flags? How would you know if it's time to reconsider whether or not homeschooling is something that someone should continue? I think for us, peace in the home would be a red flag. If we were starting to see a lot of strife and conflict regarding school, it might be time to to put them in or to consider putting them in. And I think that's the same if your kids are in public school and you're starting to see a lot of strife in the classroom or a lot of strife with a child or issues with their peers. That might be a red flag that it might be something to consider homeschooling. Um, we, we've just never had to go past you know, the challenge of algebra one was the first challenge we came up where we thought, well, maybe we should look into this. Um, and it was really just to me to see about getting him a tutor. The, the red flags really would be if you're really just not liking it. if you're homeschooling and you don't you really don't like it. And there are safe alternatives. That could be a red flag. There's a lot of spouses out there that are considering whether or not they should try homeschooling, whether it's because they genuinely have a heart for it or whether they feel guilt and feeling like it would make them a better mom. How would you encourage a spouse who's trying to decide if homeschooling is the right fit for her? I don't think everyone's going to love this answer, but I'm going to say that sometimes you won't know if it's the right fit till you try it on. You won't mess your kid up in a short amount of time. It doesn't have to be a permanent decision. If all of the signs are saying, yes, this is something we should try. And the signs being child's in favor, your husband's in favor, I guess your spouse, if you're the, if you're a female soldier, if everybody is lining up with it and you try it out and it doesn't work, the school didn't leave. You can still send your child back into the classroom and there's nothing wrong with that. I think for me, that's another thing I really want to encourage people. Um, if you are homeschooling and you put your kids into school, that doesn't mean you're a failure. That means you've made the best decision for your child at that time. I, I, I want public schooled parents or homeschool parents alike really to know that we don't see, we um, homeschool moms don't see other moms putting their kids in public school as they gave up or they failed or whatever. Some of my closest friends recently put their kids in school and they're doing amazing and mom's having a great time and I'm just as happy for her as I could be. It's really hard to know off beforehand unless you just all feel it right away. We knew because of our situation, the move that we were gonna have during Haynes' first year. My mom homeschooled me because uh, they were gonna bus me to a different school district that wasn't gonna be safe. And so really quick, it was like, uh, we're gonna do something different. And back in that time frame, that was a big difference, uh, a big challenge because there weren't the ways, the co-ops, there weren't the other peers who were doing it. So um, yeah, I think situational. Um, situation is how you determine whether it's going to be a, a good fit. And like I said, it doesn't have to be permanent. What would you, is there anything else that you would say to um, either side, but any military spouses, is there anything that's just on your heart that you would love to say and encourage them um, as 
as especially as it comes to homeschooling, but really just anything else, what would you say to, to a lot of the military spouses that are out there? If I could say anything else, it would just be to give the mom who chose a different path the benefit of the doubt. She may not actually be judging you. If she public schools, she might simply be curious about what it really looks like to homeschool. It's a pretty dramatic change from the norm that she was raised with and that her kids live with. If she's homeschooling, she probably doesn't care that you're public schooling your kids. I can honestly say that it makes no difference to me whether my friend's kids go to school or they homeschool them. I will say, though, that I naturally tend to gravitate towards people who have similar schedules to me. We all do that. That's okay. That's natural. But it doesn't mean I look down on people who have chosen to put their kids in school. Like I said earlier, I absolutely respect the people who have chosen to work in education. It's a difficult and demanding job with very little reward. And I'm just thankful that there are so many who do that. Many of my friends are teachers because I went to college to become one. And I am still friends with them to this day. I have several who have gone on to become administrators and principals. And if they were homeschooling their kids, they wouldn't have the opportunities to be where they are. And I really feel like they are where they need to be. They have worked hard. They have sacrificed a lot. And I'm proud of them for the accomplishments that they've made. And honestly, when I have a concern about one of my kids' um, education, I will get on there and say, hey, teacher friends, what do you think about this? And many times they have given me exactly the answer that I needed. And so I really believe that each mother, each family has to make the right choice for their children in the season that they're in. And so just give each other the benefit of the doubt. Um, if you have questions, genuinely ask. I will say that sometimes you're going to hear a snarky response to the socialization question. You asked it a little while ago, and I found a lot of snickering voices that I've heard pop up in the back of my mind because there are jokes galore about how unsocialized homeschool kids are, and they're just not. Most of them are actually pretty well socialized. Most of them can carry on a conversation um, look people in the eye, and I don't find that to be very different from their public school counterparts. Would you like to send in a shout out and have it included on the Life Giver podcast? Anyone, civilian or military, can thank a military spouse who has made a difference in your life, or say thank you to a service member for working hard on your marriage. Record your shout out by using your voice memo app available on your device and email it to Corey at CoreyWeathers.com or call in and leave a voicemail shout-out to 706-431-7222 and we will do our best to include it in future podcasts.